Uh, Harper, thanks so much for coming on to Live Your Life with Purpose podcast. I'm really, uh, I just, we just got introduced uh, just a short period of time ago through uh, our family and uh, was really uh, grateful to be able to kind of highlight and share your story. And so um, for those who haven't read uh, an article that was just released, maybe you can kind of tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So I had an article released on the OC87 Recovery Diaries, mm. and it is about my journey with obsessive compulsive disorder. Yes. I, I deal with both obsessive compulsive disorder and major depressive disorder and mm. some other stuff too, but we won't sure. get into that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I basically started off my journey always being an anxious child. Sure. Yeah. Like recently, I had my grandfather tell me a story of that going to bed when my parents went on a date, he was babysitting me. Um, I sat in my bed for hours screaming and crying because I didn't oh. want to be alone. Oh, wow. And eventually I climbed out of my crib somehow. Yeah. And I went to sleep on the floor with my brother. So like I was always an anxious child being away from certain people. Mm -hmm. And you had said in that, in that article that it started off with around when you were four, you, you saw yes. your father had a seizure. And so that's a pretty traumatic thing because when I was taking care of my mother, uh, she had two seizures while she was going through uh, Alzheimer's and um, that is definitely a traumatic event, you know, mm -hmm. as an adult, I, I, you know, I was able to deal with that, but I'm at four. Um, that's, that's a lot for somebody to be able to handle. Yes. So it's interesting because looking back on it, I can see my OCD actually started before I was four. Oh, okay. At like age two or three, but the seizure, my dad's seizure happened to be like the big trigger where it just kind of set the spiral of my OCD getting yeah. worse. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, my dad, we were actually on a family trip in France. I believe it was France at the time when he had his seizure and we were getting on a train and people pulled him onto the train as he was having his seizure. Oh wow! And I remember just looking and to no fault of my brother because he was young and trying to make sense of it as well. Sure. Because if you hadn't been on my dad's shoulders, he wouldn't be having the seizure. Oh. So at that moment, my OCD kind of clicked it, it, onto that going, I can prevent this from happening. Sure. And you couldn't have, but at no, the time, not at you, all. you know, he didn't know, you didn't know it just, it's no. yeah. Yeah. And so, and so when people sometimes you know, you hear people talk about, or at least I hear people talk about OCD, and it's just like some minor things that they potentially have to do. But for you, that's, this is a whole different level, because it has, has kind of not allowed you to progress in other areas of your life, correct? Correct. Yeah. So OCD is characterized by two main things, obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are unwanted thoughts, memories, urges, really any type of intrusive thought, and they cause severe anxiety and distress. Yeah. So that's really the key point you want to think when you think OCD, because most people use OCD as an adjective. Yeah, like, I like having my pencils in a straight line. That's mm -hmm. not OCD. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I and I appreciate you you know sharing this because it is such a you know it's one of those people who don't understand it 
just, you know, want to associate it with something. And mm-hmm. uh, for those who are going through it, it's, it, it, it kind of, you know, it, it's not a fair representation of really what somebody is, is going through. No. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so, so how did that progress as a child? Like as, as you kind of grew up with this disorder, you know, how did you one type of like, try to handle it and two, how did it kind of progress for you? Yeah, so it's interesting because I was always an anxious child. We never really picked up on the fact that something was wrong, Mm. that my family didn't notice because I had always been that way. And I didn't notice because that was my normal, Mm -hmm. that I had never experienced anything different from anxiety. Mm -hmm. So how was I supposed to know that a normal person didn't feel this way? Gotcha. Yeah. And so as I grew up, I had different obsessions and compulsions, like kind of grow and mix in. Like my nighttime routine started out maybe like 10, 15 minutes and grew to like two, three hours by the time I was in eighth grade. Mm. And when I was in eighth grade, my grandmother passed away who uh, suffered from a brain tumor for five years. Oh, wow. And so that was one of the biggest triggers because it also triggered my depression. So when my depression got really bad, my OCD also started to gain ground as well. And, and it was probably like you were looking for comfort. And so you would do these things kind of over and over again, probably as like that kind of comfort level with, with, with trying for the depression or no, not really. Like how did the two kind of. (laughs) It's complicated. So yeah. In some ways, depression and OCD are completely connected. In other parts, they're completely disconnected. Sometimes when my depression gets really bad, my OCD is fine. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. when my OCD is really bad, my depression gets really bad. So it gotcha. really is a kind of mix. But at this time, it was the first time I was experiencing depression. Well, not experiencing it, but at this level, I suppose it was the first time I was experiencing mm-hmm. it. And it caused my anxiety to get worse because I was like, why am I feeling this way? Yeah. And when my anxiety gets worse, my OCD gets worse. So my OCD was kind of unrelated to the depression of the things I was doing, Mm -hmm. but connected in terms of it started because the depression started. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, so if this happened in eighth grade and you were then, you know, spending like three hours a night getting ready for, for bed. I mean, that starts to cut away a tremendous amount of time of, you know, different things that you're, you're able to do. Did you, so when did you, did you ever start to, I guess, when did you start to, you know, maybe see somebody to, to identify, okay, well, if I'm spending three hours, you know, is there a, you know, is there a way to now start to work with that? Yeah. So this is when I started seeing that one therapist. Gotcha. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, I was, I started seeing an abusive therapist who at the time I didn't know was abusive, obviously. Um, And so she was the first therapist I had ever seen. And that, you know, and, and I like, that's such a, you know, you go to a therapist for this space and for somebody to, 
to really, yeah, to, to, to give you guidance and, and, and do all of that. And especially at an early age, you, you don't think otherwise, or you're, you're, you're just kind of giving all of your trust to this individual. Uh, because yes. everyone says, oh, go do this. It should feel, you know, it, it'll help and all of those things. But that's what I think sometimes can, can really give that industry a bad name is, is, is those folks that really do more harm than good. Yes, I completely agree. Um, so I started seeing a therapist in eighth grade, but at the time we still didn't really recognize what I was doing as OCD because there's so much misinformation out there about OCD. Yeah. So really the stigmatized, I like things straight and I like things clean were what our definition was of OCD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so after I think a year and a half, that therapist called my mom a bitch and I was like, I'm out. You yeah, can insult I, me all you want, but you can't insult my mom. And that's so that's, you know, and it's behind it's it's almost like incomprehensible that that would even happen to, you know, a child in therapy where, you know, you would you would be in this, you know, somebody would look to kind of control a situation versus help a situation, you know? Yes. And uh uh Wow. And so what did, what did your family think when you eventually kind of told them all of the things that were happening while you were in therapy? Like, So that's also very complicated because I repressed the memories for about two years mm. that I had no recollection of what happened during that time. And gotcha. so when I entered my second round of treatment is when the memories started coming up mm-hmm. and I revealed to my parents then and my siblings, but I think at the time they they all knew she was a bad therapist, but I, I had trusted her. Trusted. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you have to put in quotations because she had told me nobody else could or would help me. And that's ultimately the reason I stayed with her. Ugh. So I think telling my family they weren't surprised but heartbroken for me. Sure. Yeah. 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 Because, um, you know, they would have just like any parent, you know, you want to protect your children. And so if they had any understanding, you know, yeah, you'd want to stop that immediately. And and then finding out afterwards where there's just nothing to be done is yeah, it, it, it's um, it is, it's heartbreaking because yes. um, especially again, like, you know, you have somebody that you're trusting to do these things for you and, uh, um, and paying good money for, you know, I mean, it's not like mm-hmm. therapy's, you know, free. Um, and so, so how long between the first time you went to, or you ended therapy the first time and then started back up, what was that break like for you? So I never stopped therapy. So the okay. minute I left that therapist, I started seeing another therapist okay. at, a hospital here in Colorado mm-hmm. and that therapist very educated on OCD it's like yeah this is what this is but at the time my OCD was so severe that I think I was seeing him twice or three times a week mm-hmm. I still wasn't getting better gotcha and so he told me that or he told my parents I didn't really get a choice in the matter <laughs> that I needed more intensive treatment yeah and so we were recommended to go to Rogers which is like the mainstream OCD treatment in the world right now. Oh, okay. And 
Rogers Behavioral Health. That's the name of the hospital. And they have different locations around the U.S. And so I went there my first time in before 11th grade, the summer going into 11th grade. And then I went again before the summer of 12th grade. So I was, I had about a six month break, but I was still doing therapy at home Mm -hmm. between those. Mm -hmm. And then I went again, the end of 12th grade. So about a year later. Okay. Okay. And so what, what was therapy like there and how did that, did that help at all? Did it? Yeah. So Treatment for OCD is called ERP or exposure and response prevention therapy. And it's basically introducing yourself to your fears and trying to resist Mm. your compulsions as you're introduced to those fears. And so it's very hard. Like uh, if you were afraid of swimming, I mean, you do gradual steps to go swimming. Like you'd walk to a pool but not get in the water you'd touch Mm -hmm. the water and all that but eventually it would be jumping in the water you know Mm -hmm. and so I would say it helped to an extent the first time I was there the first two times I was there it was life-saving and ultimately the thing that had me go back is because my OCD kept progressing and getting worse Okay. Even though I kept doing the same amount of exposures every day mm-hmm. and the same amount of work every day to keep up and help my OCD, it obviously did not work. <laughs> so it gave me my life back for about maybe five months at a time. And then okay. OCD would eventually progress and get worse again. Yeah. Now, did that allow you to, you know, kind of be in school and stay in school? Like, how was school for you during this whole time? Because I would imagine it it couldn't have been easy. No, school was tough. In middle school, I was a 4.0 on a roll student. Mm. I think my finishing GPA of high school was in the twos. Yeah, yeah. So not only did I, I took five years of high school because I missed about a year for treatment. Okay. And then I failed several classes because at school I couldn't touch pencils, pens, books. I couldn't write. I couldn't use computers. I couldn't use certain numbers in math class. Like Mm. I was so debilitated by this illness that I couldn't do the things I needed to do to do school, which ultimately led me to fail classes. Yeah. And of course, teachers don't understand how severe it can be. So they like as compassionate and as kind as they were, they wouldn't understand. Oh, she can't touch a pencil. We should let her work on that, you know? Well, yeah, you know, and it's, and it's, again, it's, it's not to anyone's fault, but the more that we don't understand something, we just kind of brush it off or we feel like, okay, well, you know, we helped, but but have you really? And so, you know, it's, it's, it, it, you know, we should kind of go above and beyond to be like, okay, well, it's not about what you can't do. Cause I think that when we, when somebody who doesn't have a disease looks at somebody that has a particular disease or a particular ailment or a disability or something along those lines, you know, we automatically group somebody into something that they can't do and instead of just looking at what people can do. Right. And so, um, you know, 
it would have been great, I'm sure, if the teachers then just took a little bit of time to understand, okay, well, if you can't do these things, what could we still do that would allow you to still progress through the class and, yes. you know, maybe take a verbal exam or maybe do something differently than another student, but still allowed you to participate and do things just a little differently. Yes. Yeah. Did, did you ever have any teachers like that or was that pretty much your, your, your entire experience? Um, no, I had a couple amazing teachers. Two of them actually, I was failing their class by a lot. Mm. <laughs> they passed me in their classes because they saw how hard I was just trying to live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they, they passed me with a 60%. And I was mm -hmm. so thankful for that, that I will be forever grateful yeah. for that. And then I also had one teacher in 10th grade, amazing person. Mm -hmm. um, he actually saved my life that I had had a plan for suicide and he found my note and mm. one thing led to another, but he ultimately was the one who got me help. And that's a wonderful story. That's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. And I'm forever grateful for this teacher. And I mean, he went above and beyond trying to help my anxiety. Unfortunately, at the time, that was when I was seeing the abusive therapist and I just mm. wasn't doing well. I wasn't there mentally. Yeah. And yeah. so I remember his wife has anxiety. So he brought in her aromatherapy and was like, we can try different scents and let me smell the different mm. scents and would put like a tissue with some of the aromatherapy on it. It was that's how wonderful of him so to at, least, at least try something to at least make yeah. an effort to be like, okay, well, how can we, you know? Yeah. How can we try something different to see if it helps? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so after high school, so you, so you, so you graduated, were you able to then um, think about college? Was that an option? Like what, what, what was that road like? So, I am technically in my freshman year of college right now. Okay, awesome. That I graduated 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I have to think about that because I was supposed to graduate 2019. And oh. so I'm like, wait, what year did I actually graduate? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so and I... This was after my brain surgery, which I guess we yeah. should go into that. That's well, all. yeah. And I was going to, you know, that was part of what we're going to get into, but I think that was, you know, we might as well talk. So you, after trying different therapies, what did your doctor then potentially recommend? So how did you find out about this, this type of treatment? Yes. So my therapist who recommended me to Rogers saw that I was just, fatigued of treatment yeah. I couldn't do anything more and nothing was helping and I was just so tired and he's like okay I at the same hospital which is the University of Colorado hospital yep. um he was like I know this doctor who is programming patients CBS machines devices not machines I guess they are machines yeah <laughs> close enough yeah um and so he emailed this doctor and I got in with her and then it was about a six month process to become a candidate. So mm -hmm. I had to do a skid interview, which is 
every question in the DSM or the diagnostic criteria for mental illness asked you. I had to do neuropsych testing. I had to do all sorts of stuff to become a candidate. And so I finally became a candidate and they agreed that I would be a good person to have the surgery. And then it would take about an additional six months for insurance to approve the surgery with four appeals. Ultimately, it was crazy. Insurance did not want to approve. And it's um, so just even on a low end aspect of that, you know, I have asthma. I've had asthma since I was four years old and I have to, I can't take the medication that my doctor prescribes because the insurance deems it not necessary. I have to take the medication that the insurance will approve. And, 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 and I, you know, that's a huge you know, kind of burden the fact that here's a, here's a treatment that will help you and obviously has helped you that you now have to wait six months for and go through this entire process, you know, for what, why, you know, and it just, it really doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense, especially when we know insurance companies make so much money Um, to put people through this is just ridiculous. And ultimately, insurance did not approve. So we went to an external appeal and a doctor said, yeah, this should be standard of care. This kid obviously needs this. And insurance was forced to approve it. So wow. that is, that's absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So what was so so when was the surgery and what in and, and how was that whole, I guess, kind of process leading up to it and then afterwards? Yeah, so I had two surgeries, one to implant the batteries and one to implant the electrodes. So one brain surgery and then one like chest surgery, but it's not like actually chest surgery, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, And that was December 4th and December 11th of 2019. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so after the surgeries, I recovered for about like, well, one week from the brain surgery. And then I went into the other surgery and then I had to wait two or three weeks, I can't remember exactly, to have my device actually turned on to let the swelling in the brain go down. Oh, sure. Okay. And (laughs) this is an experience I will never forget. Mm. Because as a person with major depression, I have dealt with it my entire life, but not to a recognizable point in some senses. Mostly to a recognizable point from a certain point on, but not before. And so I had never smiled for no reason. Like I have no recollection of just smiling to smile. Mm -hmm. And so when they turned on the DBS, I didn't feel anything. And I was like, Oh no, I just went through brain surgery for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, they changed the settings a little because apparently you don't feel it at all you don't not everyone feels it when they turn it on right away Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so they turned up the voltage on one of the sides and I just felt my I think it was it was either my left or right but one of my sides of my face pulled into a smile and you can like physically feel the muscles being pulled into a smile and I just I remember sitting there going am I going to cry or am I going to smile am I going to laugh like what am I feeling here what is all of this emotion that is happening right now Yeah. 
So it was a very surreal experience. And since then, we've been messing around with different settings, trying to find the perfect ones. And generally, OCD isn't affected by the surgery until like five or six months after the um, stimulation starts. Mm -hmm. So I, when I, I believe I was five or six months in, we did start to notice a decrease in my OCD and my Y box score, which is the Yale Brown obsessive compulsive scale yeah. dropped by about 43%. Oh, wow. And that was huge. That's the most it's dropped so far. And it's definitely ebbed and flowed from that on different settings. And eventually my brain adjusts to settings or builds up a tolerance. So they don't work as well. Gotcha. And so we'll have to change them or try something new or mm-hmm. up with mm-hmm. them. And so since then, we've just been messing around trying to find the perfect settings. That's wonderful news that all of that, you know, happened and was successful. And so how, how is, how is life now, you know, compared to what it was like before? I, you know, you, so yeah. it, 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 it doesn't sound like it has gone away, but it sounds like it's a little bit more manageable. No. So I still feel... I mean, in my article, it said like three hours a day. Now I'm back up to like four, five, six hours a day, which is still so much better than every minute of every day. Um, I would say life in general has stayed the same, which I'll elaborate. Like the craziness of my life has stayed the same. Things still happen. People still are mean. Like everything in those terms has stayed the same. What has changed? My attitude, my Mm. attitude and my desire to live that I used to deal with chronic suicidal ideation for like five, six years before surgery. And now on a rough day, maybe like one or two thoughts of that. So I'd really say the main thing that has changed is my desire to live. I no longer want to die. I have the motivation and the desire to live which is wonderful to hear and it's wonderful to have that like just the fact that you didn't have that before uh is tragic and because you know we're all a gift and we all have something to offer this world and so i'm it's wonderful to hear that you're you know in this space and uh and while it's also sad to hear that there's still that discrimination and meanness and, and things like that, that you have to deal with. Um, and I, that makes it even more and more appreciative for you to continue to share your story because, you know, that takes a level of being brave that, it, you know, is on another level because you open yourself up, you open yourself up in your vulnerable and uh, uh, to be vulnerable when people are not so nice is, uh, is an amazing quality. So thank you for, for all of that. And thank you for sharing your story. Now, thank you. now, as far as now you're back in school and I love where you are headed and what you are looking to do. So maybe you can share a little bit about what your, what your purpose is now as far as education and, you know, how do you want to utilize that afterwards? Yes. So (laughs) this has changed a little bit that I started school in the fall at Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design. Mm -hmm. And it turns out art school online is hellish. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because I wasn't, it was all online. There was no yeah, in-person yeah. contact, yep. no going to classes. And there was, you had to sign up to go to campus and everything and utilize the equipment and all that. And I never mm-hmm. did that. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't enjoy school. Yeah. So I'm taking the semester off this semester. And I went down to Florida to visit my grandfather for about two months. Mm-hmm. And then in the fall, I am going to go to a different school, which I still need to apply, but yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I am going to major in studio arts and psychology to become an art therapist. Mm. And then I will have to eventually um, get my master's and become an art therapist for real. I love that. I love that you're taking something that you are kind of dealing with and and then being able to kind of help others in that same capacity and in, in a different way. And so, um, so I applaud you for, for all of that. Now, how does that feel thinking about that? I mean, I'm sure it's got to feel amazing to kind of be like, yeah, this is really what I want to do and, and, and what I want to do for others. Yes. It, it's been a pot of mixed emotions. Sure. That I'm very excited and hopeful for the future, but at the same time, I'm still very nervous that for a while I was going to become an art teacher and not an art therapist because I didn't think psychology is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. My thought process behind it was I have been a patient of like in therapy and in all this stuff for so many years with no break. Do I really want to do that as a career and have it be the rest of my life? And ultimately, I really had to think about that. And I made the decision, no, I don't want that to be the rest of my life. And then this past semester, with no psychology, no learning about it, no anything. I mean, obviously, I was in therapy and that kind of stuff. But yeah, with no learning, no classes or education on psychology, I decided, wait, I really enjoy this. I'm really interested in it. Why would I not want to do that? Yeah. And so I'm back on the track of wanting to do it. Excellent. Excellent. And so will, is this device something that you will always have to, you know, where is there, is it is? So it's under my skin, like Not it's where, there forever. I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. No, you're all good. I was like, wait, I guess, I, I don't know. Um, so yes, I will probably always utilize it. Yep. Okay. Um, and I'll have to have my batteries changed. Like these ones should last about two years and then I can get rechargeable ones, which should last about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I never have to go in for brain surgery again. Hopeful oh, that I don't get an infection or yep. something like that where they'd have to take it out. But yeah, I'll probably use it the rest of my life unless I'm doing yeah. really well and like OCD has disappeared, but sure, the sure. chances of that are slim. Well, and what a wonderful reason to have to, you know, have to have to do that again, you know, is mm-hmm. is not having to need it. And so, you know, how was the decision to have brain surgery? Was that one that was an immediate, like, yes, I want to do this? Or was that one that really, did you have to think about it? So my initial reaction when my therapist told me about the doctor programming the devices, I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing that brain surgery for mental illness. That's absurd. Mm. 
And then when I became a candidate, it no longer felt like a choice. It felt like if I ever wanted to play a functioning role in society or live the life I wanted to live, brain surgery would be the only option. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess, you know, what do you want other people to understand one about the disease and then two just on, I guess, not necessarily like how to handle it versus, you know, the, the people who are mean or the people who, you know, say things or, or that, that they just shouldn't. I would say, I mean, there are, oh, there's so many things I could say, but the first yeah. thing I would say is you are not alone, no matter what you're dealing with. OCD affects like what? One in 100 people mm. in the world. Yeah. And that's lots of people. That's I'm lots of people. I'm going to do the math there, but that's yeah. lots of people. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think the first thing to understand is you are not alone. Even if you're alone in your obsession and compulsion, the way you are feeling because of those obsessions and compulsions, someone else is feeling that way too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think the first time I realized I wasn't alone and what I was dealing with was when I went to Rogers for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I saw, I was in a pediatric program and I had probably like 10 other people in that program with me. And I saw all of them suffering in the same way I was, but also supporting one another in the same way I was and it was just such a supportive and enlightening experience because there's power in there There, there, there's power in that support there's power in knowing that while this is still your journey but not no but knowing that you're not alone allows you to be able to you know at least draw some energy from those folks as well yes and I'm still in touch with multiple people from treatment that we text either daily, monthly, we'll catch up once a year, but it will still be the same amount of support and the same amount of understanding from one another because Mm -hmm. it's like gingers. I'm a redhead and I call it the ginger, (laughs) the ginger connection. When you see another ginger out there, you're like, oh, I understand you. Exactly. It's the same thing that when you have OCD and another person has OCD, you're kind of like, okay, I get you. I get what you're going through. Yeah. We can do this. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And so how do you stay connected to the community? Do you do other than going and and, and wanting to have this, you know, art therapy, which is, which is, I I love that. Do you do anything else within, you know, the community? (laughs) I do. So I am a writer for Not Alone Notes, which is a nonprofit organization that writes letters and sends them out to people with OCD, just letting them know they're not alone. Um, I have, I mean, I have my Instagram page and then I'm in a group Instagram page called OCD Advocates United. And we all are kind of a community that talks and understands and tries to like raise awareness for OCD. Yeah. Um, and then currently I am working on a project that I am calling Cranes for Change, where I have been writing letters to inpatient psychiatric patients and just a little note with a paper crane in it mm. saying what the paper crane symbolizes. And then also, you know, I hope this journey treats you well and that you find hope and a oh, life that's worth wonderful. living. Yeah. And so what does the crane 
what does what does Ukraine represent? To me, so I have always used the paper crane as a symbol. I learned how to fold it in eighth grade, but I first learned the story of it in second grade. And to me, it symbolizes hope and healing, that mm. there is always hope and there is always healing possible that may be hard, but hopefully it's worth it. Yeah, it is. It's always worth it. You know, it really like there's, it's sometimes it's a harder battle for others. Um, but on the end, and, and, and obviously you show that in your journey that, that it is, that there's, you know, um, that there can be light at the end of that tunnel. And there's always a reason to, you know, to be here and uh, uh, find some purpose. And, and I love that you have done that. Um, and so how do you stay so, you know, having gone through that depression, do you still deal with a, you know, a form of depression? You seem yes. like a very, very positive individual. And so how does, you know, how does that still affect you? It's funny because lots of people are shocked to hear I have depression. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, really though, depression when I was really struggling affected me in self-hatred, the form mm -hmm. of self-hatred. And it would, I mean, part of it was part of what the therapist had done to me and all that. Yeah. But mostly it was thoughts of like, I'm not deserving to live. Like I do not deserve this life. And now it has kind of switched from that to like low motivation where I really struggle to put something into gear or do something. And where I don't think people realize that depression can be physical too. I mean, not yeah. like physical yeah. illness, but physical in terms of like, it affects you and what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, how can people get involved and, you know, maybe connect with you through Instagram? I'll certainly, you know, share some information at the end of the video, but, you know, it'd be nice for people who, uh, uh, who may be experiencing this to be able to find support through you because yeah. you, are, you are a wonderful individual that shares a lot of support. I appreciate that Harper. Absolutely. Um, I mean, really, Instagram is probably the best place to reach me. You can DM me and sure. may take me a bit because I'm not always good at checking my DMs, yeah. but I eventually will get back to you. Um, and I mean, to get into the community, I'm still working on this one because I yeah. definitely play a part in the community, but there are are people out there who are doing so much more that I want to become one of those people. Yeah. And so I'd say just starting with small steps, like researching or emailing the IOCDF, which is the International OCD Foundation, mm -hmm. and trying to find ways you can get involved, like any small steps. Like I'm an OCD Game Changers volunteer right now, and mm. I adore it. So just any small step that you like, you see something OCD related, reach out and be like, Hey, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. And, and that, um, and where your article was just published the, what is it? The OCD 87 Chronicles or OC 87 recovery OCD. diaries. Yeah. And so what is that? All, what is that all about? Does, is, is that, is that a, you know, a, a place where people are able to grab a lot of information? 
It so I know the OC87 Recovery Diaries is like a smaller offshoot of a film that was made. Oh, okay. And so this is just kind of a place for people to share their stories that you submit an article if they like it. They will reach out and contact you with an editor and then you work with an editor and it, overall the process took a little less than a year to get my oh, okay. article published yeah um but i'm not quite sure that they're a very i had a great experience with them sure but i'm not sure how big of a role they play in the ocd in the, community specifically gotcha. yeah but it, what a wonderful opportunity for you to be able to you know kind of share your story in that capacity um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Harper, you know, it was, it was amazing to have you on. It's, it's really been, you know, I, I can't even imagine the journey that you've been on, but it's, it's wonderful to hear that you are taking things in a different direction for yourself. And, and, and I love where you're, you're thinking about giving back into this community in a different way now. And so, you know, I wish you just tremendous success. Um, you know, keep being the advocate that you are because it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to, to help others. Right. Thank you so much. <laughs>